Welcome back to Bridgerton. This is Mary's Book Club. Today, we are talking about Chapter 1 of The Duke and I by Julia Quinn. and welcome back. I'm Mary Larson. So excited to have you here as we begin our adventure in The Duke and I. Last episode, we tackled the prologue and we got to learn about the Duke of Hastings and everything that happened there with Simon. And here in chapter one, we get introduced to so many of the things that I love so much about Bridgerton. Now, for those of you who are doing this as a book club, but have never watched the show Bridgerton, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be spoilerific, okay? I hate to break it to you. Luckily, it's a quick book. So if you just want to hit pause on this podcast, get into the book and then come on back, feel free. I was introduced to Bridgerton because of Netflix, and I know that so many of you were as well. So I am going to be sharing some spoilers and also talking about differences because I don't know about you, but Simon looks different in the books than in the show. And because I watched the show first... I see book, Simon, and I'm totally okay with it. So we actually start off chapter one with um, Lady Whistledown's like papers. And it's just super fun because she's just spilling all the tea. Not really that much tea, but about the Bridgerton family. Talking about, of course, that they are the most prolific family. And <laughs> tells us a bit about the alphabetizing of their children's name. I loved how the author refers to herself as this author with capitalizations. Very much like Diana Gabaldon, which I found quite interesting. Um, and, you know, talks about how all of the kids look incredibly alike, which is something I missed out on the show. Yes, you one could argue they look kind of like siblings, but this is supposed to say like there is no doubt whatsoever that these children all look the same. And we, of course, get to one of my favorite characters from the television show, Lady Bridgerton, Violet Bridgerton, who just can't handle the Lady Whistledown papers. She loathes them and yet won't stop buying them. Daphne even gets after her where she's like, Mom, if you really don't like this, is it if it's Maria Kondo, like not bringing you joy, then stop buying them. It's not even like they're left on our steps for free, which brilliant Lady Whistledown brilliant marketing. Leaving it on the footsteps of the higher echelon of society's um, you know, footsteps for three days a week for the first three weeks for free. Wetting the whistles. Oh, look at that. Wetting the, the taste buds so that people want more and crave more of the whistle down papers. Letting people know that if you do not have the latest copy, if you are not paying those five pennies, you are out of luck because you are not going to know the latest gossip. You are not going to know if you were gossiped about. And we also find out from Daphne later on in this chapter just how fun it is to read. If you're unable to attend an event, maybe you have a family birthday party because there's eight children in your family, or maybe you have another obligation, don't worry. You get the recap, the cliff notes, all the important bits included in the Whistledown papers. So of course, one of the things that I find very cool, and once again, I'm just telling you, I'm spoilerific. In the show, we find out that it's Penelope Featherington, who is Lady Whistledown. Super cool and great, right? But on like page 16 of my book, you know, literally within the first... The second page of chapter one, we get 
This isn't so bad, Mother. In fact, it's veritable benediction compared to what she wrote about the Featheringtons last week. And I just love how we're just thrown off scent right away. Like, like we don't know any of these people, but we're going to tell you right away, like, oh, she dragged the Featherington family through the mud. Lady Whistledown did the Featheringtons dirty. You know, so already we're thrown off the scent that as we begin to wonder who this author is, it's a lot of the conversation that Violet and Daphne have, we're the neighbors, the Featheringtons, who we haven't even met yet, but we already are going to have that implanted in our brain that it's not going to be them. Um, another thing that I found quite interesting is that Daphne has already been two seasons in London She's already had four people propose to her and she's excited to marry and she's not even holding out for a true love match. Once again, this to me feels in direct comparison to what happened in the show. I felt like in the show, Daphne was wide eyed, you know, looking for the true love, looking for what her parents had. So here we are, you know, in the third page of this chapter. And it's like, she's not even holding out for that. She's not holding out for the like, you know, earth shattering love that they write poems about. She just wants something or other. And the problem is, is that everyone likes Daphne. She's just a great gal to have around. And this one bit where it said, you know, there were a number of men who she thought might make reasonably good husbands, but the problem was none of them was interested. Oh, they all liked her. Everyone liked her. Everyone thought she was funny and kind and quick wit, and no one thought her the least bit unattractive. But at the same time, no one was dazzled by her beauty, stunned into speechlessness by her presence, or moved to write poetry in her honor. Men, she thought with disgust, were interested only in those women who terrified them. No one seemed inclined to court someone like her. They adored her because she was easy to talk to, and she always seemed to understand how a man felt. Well, it probably helped that she had three older brothers, right? Uh, one guy even said, you're not like regular females. You're positively normal. Guys, ugh. Can anyone, if this was you, if this struck a chord with you in like high school or college or post-college where it's like you had men that you were interested in or people you were interested in and they were like, yeah, you're great. You're fun to be around. I love hanging out with you. But who I really want to date is XYZ. I want the that girl. I want the blondes. I want the hard-to-get ones who I know nothing about. And I'm sitting there being like, you know nothing about her because there's cumballs in her brain. Like she's she I literally there were girls in my high school that were so sought after, particularly the gymnasts. Ugh, I'm not flexible, so maybe that made me unsexy. But nonetheless, like I remember sitting in class with my with my friends and with my classmates, and like these boys would just be drooling over these girls who I know had peanuts for brains. They didn't make them laugh. They didn't have the same interests as them. And yet, one guy in high school told me, don't worry, Mary, you're going to make a great college girlfriend because you're just like on a completely different level. Like right now, all of us high schoolers, we just want to hook up with hot girls. We just want to like go and, you know, make out and do all these things. But like your real like good long term girlfriend relationship worthy. So you just wait till college. So basically, I was told like you're not smoking, but one day, one day will people appreciate you. So then I go to college and I'm like, now's my time. Okay, I'm just going to still be me. I'm going to like wave my nerd flag high. I'm going to still be friends with all these people. And still, 
for the most part, people still were going after the girls that they didn't know that had this intrigue. And so as I read this bit, I was like, this is like my youth all over again. No wonder I had to find a husband on the internet. Goodness gracious. So let me know if I'm not alone. My gosh, as I said, reach out on Patreon or even better yet, send me a message on Instagram and Facebook and let me know. Um, so anyway, ah, let's let's I digress. I digress, my friends. <sighs> Daphne knew her mother had only the best interest at heart. She knew her mother loved her. She loved her mother too, in fact. But once she had reached the maritable age, Violet had been positively, oh, before she had reached it, she'd been positively the best of mothers. She still was when she wasn't despairing over the fact that Daphne had three more, after Daphne, she had three more daughters to marry off. Like, I just find it so interesting, even though I can't read it. Sorry. Um, just how much Daphne adores her mom. You know how much she looks up to her, how she was a perfect mom. And yes, she now has this stress of marrying not only Daphne, but the three others as well. And she can't stop thinking about it because this is her job right now. You know, she does have these eight children, but she needs to get Daphne married off. And then she needs to get Eloise married off. Like this has to happen and has to start with Daphne. And it hasn't been working. So they're, of course, having this fun little banter about Lady Whistledown. And Violet just detests this woman. And Daphne says she has to be one of us. If she weren't a member of the ton, which if someone wants to let me know what the ton is, or if this comes up in later chapters, awesome. But I'm just assuming like, you know, from what I've read, it's the higher echelon society. You know, you're the the more wealthy people and who get to go to all these balls. Does that mean that ton has to be at the end of your last name? Like, would I be Larson Tun if I was fancy? I don't know. What would your name be? <laughs> Larsonton. Like if it was my maiden name, I'd be Earlton. That would be terrible. Okay, so if if Lady Whistledown wasn't a member of the ton, then she wouldn't know all of this different stuff that was happening. 